Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, we're talking about working from home. Join us in the Contracting Officer Podcast group on LinkedIn to stay connected with other podcast listeners who are winning in the government market. Okay, let's get started with this week's episode. What question would you ask on the phone today that you would not have asked 20 years ago or even 10 years ago? Where are you? You wouldn't ask where you are because 20 years ago, I called your landline phone and that's where I know you are because that landline phone is attached to where you are. Your phone was connected to your location and now not so much. To some extent, we're location independent now. So much so that people may not realize that I live near Washington, D.C., and you live in the Tampa Bay area, and we record probably 95% of these things remotely. On the rare occasion, one of us is in the other's town or we're at the, in the same hotel room in some completely different town and we record together. Most of the time, it's remote. A lot of work is done remotely, as it turns out, in a wide variety of industries, including on government contracts. From requirements to RFP development, through the proposal development, and then the contract management, contracts are won and, and even delivered remotely, unless you need to be specifically there to perform. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we talk about whether your location actually matters, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Brian Ballou. He's the director of the National Security Group at Oracle. Uh, his feedback on the podcast has been great. Brian explained how he uses the insights that he gets to help his team have more fun, I like that, pursuing contracts. Thanks, Brian, for giving me your feedback on the podcast and letting us know how you use the content. It should be no surprise that many, many people work remotely, don't work in a traditional office as previous generations have. We dug up some data it's a little bit dated, but in 2017, 53% of business people, and I don't know exactly what the definition of business people is, but 53% of business people say they're working two and a half days a week remotely. So half the people working half their week remotely. That's a significant amount. It's huge. Interestingly, the data also says that 27% of business people see their commute as a waste of time. Which is funny because what do the other 73% think? It's like I, I never saw my commute as productive time. But the point is they see it as a negative, right? That's the point of the, of the article. Right. Commute equals bad. I actually see commutes as a good thing because that's when people listen to our podcasts and without commutes. <laughs> it's not when everybody listens to the podcast, but it's when a significant portion of people listen to podcasts. A lot of podcast listeners that I talk to have about a half an hour commute. And they fill that half an hour with us. <laughs> so I'm not going to say commutes are all bad. <laughs> Back to the data. Back in 2017, 14% of business people who were part of this data collection reported that they work remotely all week. 14% of the workforce, if we scale that up, that's over 20 million people. That's a lot of people working remote. It is. Full time. So yeah, this, this is happening. This remote work thing is happening. Your entire team in Skyway is remote, right? Yeah. I mean, we're from Florida to San Diego to Denver to Texas to Maryland. 
we're all over the place. And the reason for that was we're looking for just the right people. I mean, finding former contracting officers who want to provide consulting who are available, they're not all around here in Tampa Bay. Skyway is a small company, but big companies like Oracle and IBM have large portions of their workforce work remotely. And even Sean So from the So Company, he was a guest on Podcast 184 where he talked about the 8A program. He has a portion of his team that works remote. It's not linked to a specific type of business, size business, industry. It's a thing. (laughs) It's a thing. I like that. Back to the question we started with. Does it matter where you are when you're performing the work? Let's define what we're talking about when we say remote. Not in the office uh, or, or in a government facility office, right? Some contractors are completely remote, like we talked about. Others have a mix of on-site and remote. And others have employees who work remote sometimes when the work allows. So this is all very fluid. If you think about it, to a large extent, it depends on what type of work you're doing. If you have a factory that builds a product, there's people that are going to have to work in the factory. Now, robots might actually build a product now, but there's going to be some people there. The logistics function, loading the trucks and driving the trucks, that requires people at this point in our lives. It requires people on site to do. But the sales folks, the salespeople that actually sell those products that are being built, they might not ever go to an office. They're either out of client sites trying to sell, they're on the phone, they're sitting at a coffee shop on their laptop on the phone. You see that a lot. It's just not important that they're in the office interfacing with other people. It really it depends on what kind of job you have, but most positions have some portion that can be done remotely. I have one neighbor who's a pharmacist. That requires him to be at the pharmacy to do his job. Can't do that remotely. I get that. I have another friend who's a professor at a university. He drives into the university and teaches some classes live. Other classes he teaches remotely from home via one of the video tools that's that's available for everyone to use. So even the same job he can do either in person or remotely. A buddy of mine's a driver's ed instructor for the state of Florida. Don't and, tell me it's remote. Well, it's, it's all done by video games. No, okay. <laughs> the, 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 the test part of it, the part of it that doesn't require you to actually drive the car is all done remote, which blew me away because I'm thinking that's something you got to be there for. It's like you got to be there for parts of it, obviously, <laughs> but not all of it. So it's, yeah, it, it, when you start to peel this back, you see how many positions you don't have to actually be there for. It's great. You don't need the same classroom facilities, infrastructure. Interesting. And you save so much time, which is what many of us are trying to find more of. Speaking of time, let's go to FAR time. Bring this back to the government. I segue. The FAR still calls working remotely telecommuting, which is a (laughs) pretty dated term. It assumes that that thing is still a telephone, that there's a unit tasker called a telephone. (laughs) FAR 7.108 is titled Additional Requirements for Telecommuting. And it says right up front, in accordance with U.S. Code, An agency shall generally not discourage a contractor from allowing its employees to telecommute in the performance of government contracts. I'll paraphrase paragraph A, which says the government can't include a requirement in a solicitation that prohibits offers from telecommuting 
unless the contracting officer determines that the requirements, including security requirements, can't be met by telecommuting, by remote workers. If the contracting officer determines that is the case, they have to document it in writing and specify that in the solicitation, in the RFP. So in other words, you can't say you have to be here unless you justify it. Right. And in the world I came from where people have clearances and work in secure spaces, that's very common. Right, You just can't do the job unless you're in an approved secure space, which is not your house or your car or the coffee shop. <laughs> exactly. What? Starbucks isn't secure? What? Paragraph 7.108B says when telecommuting is not prohibited, the government can't unfavorably evaluate an offer because it includes telecommuting. And again, if telecommuting or working remotely is prohibited, the contracting officer has to document that via a determination and findings in writing and address it in the evaluation procedures for the source selection. And it says in the solicitation. In other words, you can't say during the source selection, oh, we wanted you to be in the office, so we're going to ding you for it. Because right. this says you have to tell them ahead of time. If you're, if you're going to require them to be in the office, you got to specify it ahead of time. Right up front. FAR Part 13 and FAR Part 15, where we're talking about evaluation factors and source selections, reference this FAR 7.108, as does FAR Part 11, talking about describing agency needs. We were just talking about including this requirement in the solicitation. So let's talk about time zones. This is relevant in all of the acquisition time zones. At the beginning in the requirement zone, you're assessing whether the requirement can be satisfied by remote workers. Market research zone, you're verifying that with industry. You're, you're doing your research to find out, can this actually be performed without being in the office or on a government facility? The RFP zone is where you've documented that officially in the final RFP, and offers are writing their proposals against your RFP, and the source selection zone is where you're evaluating it. If you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones, uh, they're in episode three as we cover these. And like you talked about in FAR 7, it specifically says you can't ding the contractor for doing this. So in other words, in the market research zone, you're not really looking for, hey, is this done remotely? You have to justify why it couldn't be done remotely. That's a very different mindset to come to this with. That's a great point that we should have mentioned back in FAR time. The FAR is actually encouraging telecommuting, as as quaint as that sounds now. The FAR (laughs) is actually encouraging remote work. The FAR is quaint. That's funny. That part of it is. (laughs) Lots of pieces of the FAR are quaint. Post-award, if we're talking about remote working, we're talking about the performance zone where the work is being performed – And the recompete zone where the government, as they're assessing the continued need for this requirement, is looking at, hey, did it work? Was it okay that people were on site or could they do it remotely? Or the opposite, if they were remote, do we need to have them on site? Next time, let's do it better. And if you're not familiar with the execution time zones, they're in episode 84. Let's get specific about why the government cares. Like I just said, the FAR encourages remote work. And to avoid frustrations that often lead to protests, explaining why telecommuting is not allowed. That's what FAR 7.108B requires, is the contracting officer has to document and explain 
why you can't telecommute <laughs> in air quotes. That frustration of, oh, well, I didn't know that I could telecommute or, oh, I didn't know that I was expected to telecommute or all of those things come from not communicating. Here's the expectation. We have had these people in the office for the last 30 years. Here's how all the meetings work. Here's all you know, we have. We have a skiff requirement. There might be some classified materials, whatever the reason is, explain it ahead of time. Because nowadays, I think it's entirely likely that somebody could submit a proposal and say, well, actually, we're expecting 80 percent of these people not to come on on base to do this work. And the government says, well, we can't have that. We've never done that before. Well, guess what? The FAR says you can't take them for it. If the government's clear about their expectations up front, it really helps in evaluating proposals because this could be a major price swinger, right? It's someone that, that's expecting to do the work on the government site versus expecting to have to, to lease a big office building to house all these employees versus someone that's expecting everyone to work remotely it could be a big price swinger and make it very difficult to evaluate which is most advantageous. It's much better if all the offers are proposing similar type solutions so you can compare apples to apples rather than not. And like you always say, focus on the mission. Does this impact the mission to have them working remote? And it might. It might also impact contract type. Yeah, think about a time and materials type contract. We, we often talk about butts in seats contracts. This is where the government's hiring people with the expectation that they're going to fill a seat in a government office or, or in a contractor's office, but generally in the government's office. How do you count the butts in the seats? How do you account for their time if they're working remotely? If your acquisition strategy calls for a time and materials contract type or any other type of contract that requires you to document the hours worked, that can drive a lot of angst if people are working remotely. That's the biggest fear, I think, especially with, with previous generations, is how, how do I know if they're working if I can't see them? This does transfer some of the risk back to the government because you have to trust that they're doing their work. You have to have some mechanism to know they're doing their work. If your contract type properly matches your acquisition strategy, in this case, you could be contracting for outcomes rather than hours. And in that case, all you care about is the final deliverables, not where they were accomplished, not where the work was accomplished. An episode that we'll do at some point will be performance-based service contracting. Principle of performance-based service contracting, which is not a new idea, is that what is the result we're going for? What is the performance result? That performance result shouldn't be tied to whether or not they're sitting in an office, whether that butt is in the seat at an office or that butt is in a seat at home. You're focused on the performance result. Switching to the industry side, why does industry care about working remotely? Working remotely versus working on a government site versus leasing a whole building for these people is a major driver for how much it costs to accomplish the work. Because it's a major cost driver, if you need the work to be off-site or if you need the work to be on-site or if you need the work to be at a government facility, make sure you've shaped that. Make sure you've communicated with the government, given them the context for why so that the RFP specifies where that work must be accomplished. If that's your competitive advantage, make sure that the RFP actually helps you win through that competitive advantage. Don't be surprised by it. This is a fine line that, there, that may be your competitive advantage, but – you may not want to ask that question after the RFP release because now you're tipping your hat uh, on your strategy because that whatever question you asked during the RFP zone 
has to be answered publicly. publicly. So everybody sees, oh, well, now somebody else is doing this remotely, changes the calculus. We're talking about competitiveness between government contractors here based on whether or not the work is accomplished remotely. Think about it from, from a big picture of whether or not industry decides to enter the government market. We've talked before about recruiting. If your company develops software and you require everyone to sit in the office and another company develops the same type of software and everyone works remotely, which one is more cost-effective? It probably costs a little more to have everyone in the office. Now, maybe they're more productive, maybe not. But if the government specifies that it has to be on-site or in a contractor office, it may actually drive companies away from the government market, or it may make it more difficult for them to hire the best employees. And that's where my brain goes, is that hiring the right people can be difficult if they're used to working remote, and now you're making them go into an office. If they just are exhausted from their commute, and someone offers them a position that they may make 10% less, but don't have to get in a car to go you know, do an hour and a half commute round trip. Those are some of the things that are part of the conversation, but may not be part of the acquisition strategy and per 7.108 should be. Now I'm looking at the clock and we should be wrapping this up right about now. We're back to the original question. Where are you and does it matter? On the government side, the term telecommuting, it's the date. It's a very dated term. It shows you how old this idea is. It's not new. Um, in some industries, it's been normal for a while. I remember when you and I went to the government contract pricing summit, we spoke out there a couple of years ago, and we ran into people who were full-time pricers. They worked at companies where they didn't ever meet each other before this conference. It was funny to be talking to somebody and is the first time they met in person. So for that niche, which is government pricing experts who work for large businesses, their culture is they're all remote. The only time they see each other is at these conferences. <laughs> so this is already happening. Uh, and on the industry side, be careful here because the government lags industry and this situation is no different. Remember I worked in an office and there was the, the guy who was in charge. We'll leave it at that. He would say, I actually heard him say, I know people are working hard because of how many cars are in the parking lot after six o'clock. Now, ironically, it was a military base and his house was on base. <laughs> so he didn't have a commute. But the, the principle, it was, it was an old school principle of you must be working because you're at work. And that focuses on hours of just being there, whereas what we should be focused on is the deliverables. And FAR 7.108 is focused on the deliverables, not the location of the performance that leads to those deliverables. That's a very generational perspective. And I, I think previous generations looked at how many cars were in the parking lot late as a sign of productivity, a sign of people working hard, even though having your car there doesn't mean you're working hard or productive at all. Yeah, you, you, you can be sitting in your cubicle scrolling Facebook. I think that has become a thing of the past, but we're still struggling with how do we gauge productivity if I can't see the people? How do we know that they're actually working? And I think the answer is it doesn't matter how many hours they worked. If we're specifying what you want the final outcome to be, then it's irrelevant how many hours it took them to do that. If you got the value you expected, you spent this much money for this outcome. There's a lot of room for companies to be very innovative here and make their productivity work for them 
to deliver great mission results and to make a lot of profit if they do it right. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because the FAR 7.108 encourages, we'll call it remote work, even though FAR calls it telecommuting. All right, let's end this telecommuting session right now, Kevin. There we go. (laughs) I'll talk to you later. See you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in the Contracting Officer Podcast group on LinkedIn, and hopefully we'll see you here on the podcast next week. 